0: The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. You can join us live Saturday nights at 6 p.m., Sunday mornings at 9, 10, 30, or 12, or you can join us online at cityrev.org.
1: We are so glad that you have joined us, City Rev Church, and if you are uh, brand new to uh, City Rev, my name is Roby, I'm one of the pastors here, and um, we are wrapping up. Today is the crescendo of our series, Undivided, and this is such a special series because it's not just a series that we are doing as City Rev Church. We have the privilege of joining with local churches from all over the region, all over South Florida from different backgrounds and denominations all together doing the same teaching series called Undivided, so that as the world looks in, they can see, in a season like this, it can be so broken and combative, they see that there are people from all walks of life that are coming together in unity around the person of Jesus Christ. And so we are so privileged to be a part of this Undivided series while our brothers and sisters are doing this all over the region as well. And uh, so we are wrapping up. This is part three. Today we are wrapping up this series. And you may be joining us and maybe you've been joining us for the last few weeks and you're saying, look, you keep talking about how there's this unity among churches. Uh, Maybe you've heard us mention Church United, which is is basically that unity movement of churches around South Florida. And maybe you've heard us talk about that and you say, look, that sounds exciting. And especially in a season like this, that is just a, a breath of fresh air. But I just wish I knew like a little bit more like What does that look like? What's actually happening behind the scenes with Church United? And so I wanted to give you a look at what that is like, what's going on in our region in this season. And I got to be a part of a conversation with some dear friends of mine, some other pastors in the community. And we were talking as we're entering into this month, into this undivided series, as we're entering into this season, we dialogued a little bit about what's going on in our region, what's God doing through this unity movement in our region region, among churches, among Christians all over South Florida. And so I wanted you to see um, a little bit of what our conversation looked like. So check out this video.
2: Hey, so I'm here with four good friends and pastors in the city, and we're having a conversation about Undivided. And we just want to talk about what God has been busy doing in our city. And, you know, we are here uh, for this unity for the sake of mission to answer Jesus' prayer. Jesus' prayer in John 17, 24 hours before his death, he said, I pray that all of those that are my disciples, would be one just as the Father and I are one so that the world could believe and so the world could experience glory. And we've just been watching God do a supernatural work. Um, And we just want to talk about that for just a minute. You know, Psalm 133 says where God sees this kind of unity. He commands a blessing. And we just watch this beautiful expression of him drawing people to Jesus. And so, uh, Roby, a good friend, pastor at City Rev, how have you seen God doing that uh, in this unity movement?
1: Yeah, so I've been thinking about Psalm 133. So it talks about how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity, when we as brothers and sisters are together in unity. And it talks about the dew from Hermon flows all the way down. And uh, so it's basically the, the mountain at the very north of Israel going all the way, the water that nourishes the whole land all the way down to the south in Jerusalem. And just thinking about how unity then is going to nourish what that passage says unity is going to nourish the whole land our whole city our whole society and what's getting me excited is as we've seen what I think we all agree is is a historic level of unity among churches like this is something only God can do where churches of all denominations all traditions are coming together that gets me excited and what's happening in my heart is an expectancy so if he's brought together historic unity, then I believe we are about to see him do something historic in our city. And so what's gotten me so excited is just excited to see with expectancy what he's about to do.
2: Yeah, yeah no one church is going to fulfill this mission, but together we can. So, so John Lash, uh, yeah. Greenhouse Church, tell us
0: practically how that's worked out in your life. Yeah, well, I love what Roby said. I'll jump off this word historic. I think it's been historic for me to be, be a part of and witness and experience because it's not just lip service. It's genuine. And it's deep at the heart level. So to make it very practical, uh, we're in a church planting context. We're in a portable location. COVID made us functionally church homeless. And so we're like, what are we going to do? And another church said, we've got a facility. You've got come in and they opened their doors and gave us a home in this temporary season. And that's at a a heart level. That's when things get real. And and so for me, it's beautiful to watch because I think when you follow Jesus, ultimately, we're supposed to model a unity that a watching world is longing for. And so I get to be a part of my passion. I've got a background in education. I, I get to lead and facilitate a Broward educators' conversation. And so watching these Christian, mostly public school educators, look at all these different pastors. Each week, it's a different pastor from South Florida come in, is, is watching eyes light up and say, man, if churches can be united, if pastors can be united, what if educators got united? What if doctors got united? What if nurses got united? What if citizens started coming together, followers of Jesus and all of these industries saying, man, what could God do if we were missionally employed in unity? And it's been beautiful to watch.
2: Yeah, and we know this flows from the pastors of the city. We're pastoring pastor in the city and leading, so it has to start with us. So, so Arthur, what does that look like, that, that friendship with other pastors?
3: Man, you know, Paul in Titus 3 tell, tells, tells his pastor named Titus, that Christ came to bring us into the family of God, that we are heirs of God. And one of the things for me that has been great is that we're not a competition, but we are a family. We're we on the same team. It's, it's the same people. We're one people now. And for me, I have learned that in Church United and what God is doing in South Florida is that we are family. I get a chance to play basketball with, with Doug and he crosses me over and I, I do it back to him. But 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 man, in times when things are difficult, you can call a brother and they can pray with you. I remember during this call. COVID season, I called one of my brothers and, pr- and said, man, I need prayer. Things are tight at the church. And he prayed with me. But, but what happened the next week, it was even more powerful. He called me and said, man, Arthur, we're doing well as a church and we want to bless your church and you as a pastor. And he says, man, we are in it together and we're not like a family. We are a family. And so I'm so grateful that Christ came to redeem us and to bring us into the family of God. And i am seeing that in Church United, that we are on the same team and we are a family.
2: That's good. So, Brian, you are, are the senior member of this delegation. We, we talk about going together. How, how do we go together? So, what does that expression look like as you look on?
4: Yeah, thanks, Doug. I, I want to build off of what Arthur said. Uh, just talking about family, when, when Jesus got ready to depart the earth, and you referenced earlier John 17. Well, that whole section, John 13 through 17, is last minute instruction by Jesus to the disciples about how to fulfill the mission. And it's interesting. He gives this great strategy. He tells us, John 13, uh, the world will know who I am. The world will know that you're my followers when you love one another. He said, I give you this commandment. Love one another the way I love you. And the world will know that you're my disciples. And I just, I look at that and that tells me that if the world looks at us, if the world looks at the five of us, if the world looks at the church in South Florida and leaders don't love one another, this means that the world will have to actually look away in order to see Jesus. I mean, just, just let that sink in that the world can't see Jesus. We obscure the view to Jesus when we don't love one another. So I think about this season, right? The need of the moment, it has a way of just pulling us in to remind us of what's really precious and what's really valuable, to love one another, to help one another, to be family. So praise God, he's doing it.
2: Yeah, and the thing I love about the thing that God's doing just over the last five years or so. We we stand on the shoulders of so many who have gone before us, who've sowed the seeds of the kingdom of God in South Florida. Uh, but but Honestly, I think it's better behind the scenes than in front. Usually in churches, you know, we, we put our best foot forward, you showed the best, but when we uh, have dinner together, when we pray for each other's wives and, and kids and do life together as the, as the pastors of the city, um, that's going to ripple out. And so we are excited to bring you this Undivided series in this month of outreach in November, and we're just looking forward to what God's going to do in our night of celebration and in 2021. So guys, let's go together as the family of God
1: man, I hope that um, hope that was an encouragement to you, getting a window um, of what's happening behind the scenes because it's not just pastors united. It's not just church united. We are all part of the church, and so what that means is God is uniting different groups of Christians all over the city. Educators are coming together. Other groups are starting to come together, and so I hope that you are encouraged. Now, I want you to mark your calendar December 2nd. Go ahead and mark your calendar for December 2nd. That is when um, we are together, the Church of South Florida, coming together for a night of celebration. That is, churches. All different denominations and backgrounds coming together. It's going to be at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. If you can be there in person, I want to invite you in. Um, it also um, you can also going to be able to watch it online as well. But Wednesday night, December second, um, I want to encourage you to mark your calendar because we are coming together as the Church of South Florida to celebrate all that He has done in our midst. And uh, man, there, there can't be a moment. It's hard for me to imagine a moment that brings a greater smile to the face of our Savior when he sees all of his children from different expressions coming together and worshiping together. So you do not want to miss that December 2nd. Last thing, and then I want to jump into just for a, a short Bible study for us together uh, today. Um, we are at the end of our Bible study time. We're going to be taking communion together as kind of a crescendo of this series, Undivided. And so um, as you're watching at home, if you have communion elements there, if you have like a bread or cracker or some juice, go ahead and get those pieces now so you can set them aside so you are ready as we take communion together. Because you may not be here physically, but by the blood of Jesus through the the Holy Spirit that lives in our lives as followers of Christ, we are still one and we are still together. So be ready as we are gonna take communion communion at the end of uh, this Bible study time together. So let me pray, and we're going to jump in together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you are at work doing in our midst. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we get to witness something that we believe is historic. Thank you how you're weaving Christians together in a moment that we so desperately need it as a society and as a city. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom how to be a part of what you're doing. Lord, today I just pray that we would see you, Jesus. Whatever it is that we're walking through, each one of us individually, we just need more of you in our lives. So in this moment, right now, would we meet with you? Speak to us because our souls need to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. A few years back, um, I went into my garage and I got out for the first time in a long, long time, uh, really since I was a child, I have a big bin of Legos. And my kids were just at the age where I'm like, you know what, I should show them these Legos, see if they, if they uh, get a kick out of them. So I brought out this big bin of all these Legos I had from when I was a kid and showed them to them and uh, we started building things and I, I remembered something about how passionate I am about Legos. And I, I thought that would be something that maybe I would leave in my childhood, but like still to this day, like I just, I love Legos. Like, I mean, I, I'll probably ask for Legos for Christmas still, okay? And I'm, I'm confiding this in you, confessing this to you. And um, really, I mean, even just um, earlier this week, um, I was with my kids, we were building with Legos and we were there, and I don't remember how long we were there, but all of a sudden I hear um, my wife, Rebecca, call from another side of the house and she calls out, hey! You're the only one still playing with Legos. And I looked around the room and I realized all, both of my older two kids had left and I had been sitting in the room playing with Legos all by myself, okay? And, um, and you know what? No shame, okay? That's right. I played with Legos for a while by myself. So I love Legos. And um, I was reminded um, a few years back... As a staff, we did a staff retreat. It was one of the most memorable exercises we ever did. And it was actually involving Legos. And we broke our staff into little groups. And it was kind of like a leadership development exercise. And what we did is each group had a very small set of Legos. Like each set was like 100 pieces, maybe 150 pieces, very small. And each one built like a little car or like a little airplane, just something small. And each, each they broke out in the groups. And each group had a pile of Legos. And they had the instructions. But it was not the instructions that came in the box. We had just, there were no pictures. It was just the written out instructions. So they have all the pieces. and There was no box. There was no picture. You didn't know what the end product was. You just saw the pile of Legos and the written out instruction would say something like, Take the blue two by four brick and attach it to the edge of the two by six brick. And it was just like listed like that. And so each group had a time limit and every group dug in and they did it. We came back together and several uh, of the groups came back and said, that was not fun at all. And And actually none of the groups had finished their product. So everyone left that pile, they dismantled all the Legos, and then they went to a different place. They went to a different place um, where, where they were with a new pile of Legos. And this time, they did not have any instructions. They only had the end product picture. So They had a new set, and all they had was the end product picture. And with that one, Every single group finished their, their set before the time was, uh, went out and everyone actually enjoyed it. And we talked about how when you know what the product is supposed to look like, when you know what the end product looks like, it's so much, the whole process is so much easier. There's something about that picture on the box that is absolutely so critical. That picture on the box, it's not actually Legos, it's just a picture. But when you have that picture, you understand what it's supposed to be. Now, I want to show you a passage in Scripture. It's in Mark chapter 2. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, open to Mark chapter 2, where Jesus doesn't just give a message. He gives a picture of what he's saying, and it's when he gives the picture that the impact it had on the crowd was absolutely astonishing. I want you to see what he says here. Mark chapter 2. We're going to pick it up in verse 1. Man, this is such a beautiful story. I love this story here's what happens. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Okay, we're going to pause there for a second. I want, let's get the story here. This is in Capernaum. So Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He then grows up in Nazareth. And then his ministry hub where he spent, uh, where he would come back to for his ministry is in Capernaum. He's been traveling around preaching. People are starting to hear about him. They're hearing about his miracles. And when he gets back to Capernaum to the home that he's staying at, the crowds in Capernaum hear that he's home and they all start crowding in. They fill the house, they're overflowing out of the door, and just everyone's just crowded in. They, they're just drawn to Jesus. They want to hear his teaching. And I love how it, what it says next, the transition phrase, it says, and they came. So dramatic. A group comes and they've got their friend with them. Their friend is paralyzed. He's on a mat, on a mat. Four of them have picked this, this mat up and they have brought this paralyzed man. To Jesus. When they arrive, they're surprised that they have a significant obstacle. They cannot get to Jesus. The crowds are too big. There's no way they can carry this man, maneuver him through the crowds, through the door to get to Jesus. So what they have to do is they have to go up on the roof. Now, I want you to kind of be able to visualize this in your mind in that region ancient capernaum the roofs were like your patio like your back porch or your front porch the roof you could store things up there you could host events up there you might go up there and talk to your neighbors the roof would typically have at very least a wooden ladder but in this case probably a a small staircase that went up onto the roof they they take this their friend And they carry him up onto the roof. Now, don't skip over some of these details because think about that. I mean, if that's a wooden ladder, that is a a crazy ordeal to safely get him up on the roof. If it's a small staircase, that's still a difficult maneuver to get him up safely onto the roof. But they are so driven. They are so bent on making sure this man gets to see Jesus that they're not going to stop it. No obstacle is going to stop them. They bring their friend up on the roof and what do they do next? <laughs> they stand over where Jesus is and they start ripping the roof up, create a hole so that they can then lower their friend down. Okay. Let's remember, this is not what they had planned. Like they hadn't come and say, okay, we're going to go there. We're going to go down the roof. We're going to lower him down. So they're up on the roof and now they've got to figure, how do we Lower the, I mean, this took thought, like this took planning. They had to have strategy to lower this guy down safely to Jesus. They had to figure this out. But they also just destroyed a roof. So how do roofs work? The way roofs would work in, in ancient Capernaum is every year you would redo your roof. And it was about this time of year, it'd be right before winter, you would redo your roof. Here's how the roofs worked. There would be these logs, these, um, these, these planks that would go across, uh, these beams that would go across, large wooden beams, and then you would put down um, small branches on top of that, and then you would take dirt and clay and mud with little pebbles in it, and you would pack it down on top. And then there was a tool, it was a large stone tool, like imagine like a huge rolling pin and you would roll it on top and really pack in that mud and then it would harden under the sun and then you could safely walk around on top of that. But I just want you to think for a second how messy every year that was to redo your roof. Like, I've never done it, but I hear scraping that popcorn ceiling off of a ceiling is an absolute mess. I mean, I've heard it's a nightmare, and that's how I picture every single year you're pulling up all these chunks of clay, you're pulling up all these branches, all these rocks, and all the debris that must fall down into the house when that happens. It's a huge ordeal. Well, these people have the audacity to be on someone's roof. It's not their roof. If it was their roof, they'd already be is to someone else's roof, they're on top, and they just start pulling it up. They have the courage to face the owner. They're like, no, our friend is getting to Jesus. And they're ripping up this roof. Okay, that means there's an owner inside saying, dude, I just fixed that roof a couple months ago. What are you doing? Not to mention, imagine all the debris that's falling on this packed shoulder-to-shoulder crowd in that in that house i mean all this this clay and mud and dirt and rocks is all falling down on top of them that is how committed they are to dropping their friend down and lowering him down to see jesus they go to all of this effort and watch what jesus watch what jesus says and when jesus saw their faith He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure that's not what they were looking for when they brought their friend there. I'm pretty sure when they're like, oh, Jesus is in town. They were not like, who do we know that's a really bad sinner that needs their sins forgiven? It's this guy. We got to get him to Jesus. No, that's not why they brought him. They lowered him down. They must be thinking in their mind, like, you know, he says that. And they must be thinking in their mind, like, okay, like, can't you see? Like, he, he needs help. He's immobilized. He can't move his, his arms and his legs. I mean, he, uh, he needs help. Jesus, are, are, are you, what are you going to do? Are, are, he, he's, we didn't bring him for his sins. We brought him for you to heal him. I just want to ask you, I mean, just from what you know of Jesus... What you know of what Jesus has done in your life. Do you think Jesus is going to leave him there on the mat? <laughs> I mean, for what you know of the love and compassion of Jesus Christ. Do you think he's just going to leave him there? Do you think, that's, do you think Jesus is done? Let's keep going. Here's what he says next. We're going to read through the rest of the story. Verse 6. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his his bed, and went out before them all, so that they were amazed and glorified God, saying... I love this right here. We never saw anything like this. I want you to think about this. I mean, there are doctors who can, you know, help people learn to walk again who've who've uh, s- suffered a, a terrible injury, but this man doesn't just get like some things fixed and then go through months of physical therapy. He gets up, he's totally, thoroughly healed, takes his bed in his arms, his mat, and walks home. He is completely, 100% healed. Why did Jesus do that? He says, so that you may know. he, He first says your sins are forgiven, but so that they can comprehend what is happening, what he does next is he heals their body. Okay, I want you to imagine, he heals his body. I want you to imagine this moment when Jesus says, first, your sins are forgiven. I think he just leaves it for a second and it is totally quiet in the house. They go to oh, all this effort. There's this commotion. Stuff's falling down from the ceiling. They lower the man down safely and he looks at him and everyone's waiting. What's Jesus going to do? Is he going to be mad? They interrupted his teaching. He's got you know, clay and rocks all over him. Like What is he, he going to do? And he just says, your sins are forgiven. I think he just lets it hang there for a second because the scribes, the religious elite, yeah, the scribes, they are offended. He's blasphemed. Only God forgives sins. The crowd's probably confused. The friends are disappointed. They're expecting something else. But Jesus knows something that no one in the house could possibly know. That yes, he's got physical, tangible needs, but what his soul needs is so much more profound. What Jesus knows is he could heal his body, and he eventually does. He could heal his body, and he would heal his body for, I don't know, maybe 20 years, 40 years, maybe 60 years, depending on this individual's life. But when he forgives his soul, he has healed him for eternity And he has shifted his destiny through the forgiveness of sins so that he can spend eternity in heaven. They thought they knew what this man most needed, but Jesus deeply knew what this man most needed. He needed his soul healed. But when he says that, they're all just quiet. Jesus knew they needed a picture of what he was doing. So he demonstrates miraculous love, and and to demonstrate who he is, that he heals the soul, he healed the body. And at that moment, the entire town is astonished. They're glorifying God, and they're saying, We have never seen anything like this. Do you see? He knew what they needed. What the man needed was healing in the soul, the message of the gospel, that Jesus came to forgive sins, to die on the cross, rise again from the dead so that sins can be paid for. That's what he came. That's what the man most needed. But he illustrated the healing of the soul by the healing of the body so that they would understand who he was and what he came to do. It's like the picture on the cover where someone says, oh, that's who you are, Jesus. Through a tangible act of love. So what's so powerful and so instructive is that this demonstration of love in the way that Jesus operated, it's part of how he's preaching the gospel. It's not the gospel. The, the good news is not just that Jesus came to heal this man's body. The gospel is he came to, to save our souls for eternity. And that it's a free gift of salvation. But what he used, part of the messaging of communicating what the gospel is, is this tangible demonstration of love. That is part of communicating the gospel. And so then what Jesus did is Jesus then has commissioned us to go into the world like he did and communicate the gospel. And so what that means is as we're communicating the gospel, if we're gonna be the hands and feet of Jesus, if we're gonna be the fragrance of Christ, if we're gonna be his body in our city, then what that means is we're called to demonstrate the gospel through acts of love. So people understand, oh, Jesus is here because he loves my, Jesus came because he loves my soul. We demonstrate that through acts of love. You know, Church, Christian, Christ follower, this is historically what the church has done. I want to take you all the way back to the third century. And I want to say this, a, a story that just, it blows my mind go all the way back to the third century. This is just a couple generations after Jesus. The church is still new and still spreading throughout the world. And in that time, people misunderstood and attacked the church all over. And there's even persecutions, maybe in this place over here, in this place over here, this place, the church is being persecuted. And so there were some people, some individuals that rose up in the church that God had just gifted with these brilliant minds, and they would write defending their faith. And we still to this day have some of the things that they wrote. And so one of, those is one of the church fathers called Tertullian. And what Tertullian wrote, he wrote to those who were opposing the church. And this is what he said as a defense of of those who are following Jesus. This is what he said. It is our care of the helpless our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. Only look, they say, look how they love one another. I want you to just hear what Tertullian's saying. He's writing to those who oppose Christianity, and he says, What you and I both know is even our opponents. They may not agree, they may despise us, but they all have to admit that we as followers of Christ, we care and love for the helpless. And our opponents say, look, I don't agree with anything about them, but at least I have to admit that they love one another. In other words, that third century Christian church our Christian ancestors, they so deeply loved the helpless in their city. They so deeply loved the needy. They so demonstrated that love. They so loved each other. It was so powerful that even their opponents, those who didn't like the church, didn't like Christianity, didn't like Jesus, were trying to persecute and oppress them. Even their opponents had to admit. I can't argue with how they care for, for the needy and the helpless. That's your heritage, Christian. That's the way of Jesus, to demonstrate love, modeling the message of the gospel. He goes on to say this, this is what Tertullian said. He says, we are but of yesterday. In other words, we're, we're a, a new movement. And we have filled every place among you, cities, islands, fortresses, towns, marketplaces, the very camp, tribes, companies, palace, senate, forum. We have left nothing to you but the temples of your gods. He says, we as a movement of Christians, we've only been around a couple generations, but already we've spread so much throughout the entire world that you will find Followers of Jesus Christ in every industry, in the marketplace, and in every neighborhood. You'll see them working in the palace, working here, working here. You'll see Christians sprinkled like granules of salt in every single sector. We've only left one part of your cities where we have backed out and said we're not going to be involved there. And that is your temples to your pagan false gods. Every other part of the city we have been sprinkled through. Church, as we're trying to to reveal Jesus to our city so that our cities might be revolutionized. This is how it happens. This is our heritage. This is what I just read to you is ancient city transformation. It is where Christians in every single place are demonstrating, modeling the gospel. They are a picture of the gospel through their uncommon love, their their self-sacrificing love, their overwhelming acts of love to those around them. This was so powerful in the ancient church that a generation later, there was a new emperor and his name was Julian and he hated Christians. And he's known as Julian the Apostate and he hated Christians and he wrote to some of his friends. I want to read you some of the things that he wrote about Christians. This is what he said. He said, the recent Christian growth was caused by their moral character. Listen to what he says. Even if pretended and by their benevolence towards strangers and care for the graves of the dead, The impious Galileans, that's what he calls Christians. The impious Galileans support not only their poor, but ours as well. Everyone can see that our people lack aid from us. Here's what he says. He says, look, I'm so frustrated with these Christians as they're growing and growing and growing. And he says, look, I I think the only thing I can think of is the reason that it's growing and and these these Christ followers just springing up everywhere. The only reason I can see is that they're they're pretending to be all moral and they're caring for the needy. He says, it can't be real. It's got to be fake. But they're caring for the needy. And he goes on to say, and they care not just for their own. They care for strangers. They care for our needy. They don't just care for those that are like them. They care for whoever has a need in their city. That's who they care for. Christian, that's our heritage. That's following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. What our city desperately needs What our world desperately needs, what our mission is, is that souls are healed and find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And the picture of that, that we model that Jesus is the one that loves them so much that he heals their soul, is demonstrating through uncommon self-sacrificing love, these demonstrations of love throughout our city. That is a, an outflow and a demonstration of the gospel. Why is that? Well, what is the gospel? John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. At the core of the gospel is the most radical, unbelievable act of generosity from almighty God to humanity. And what is demonstrating love? It's not just I'm a nice guy. I'm nice to the people I live around. I'm friendly. No, no, no. Love is self-sacrificing. Love is whole life generosity. I mean, look at what these men and women did to bring their friend who was paralyzed to Jesus. That was work. Sweat. It was getting in the mess and pulling up the the roof. It was trying to figure it out and think, how do we lower this guy down? I mean, they didn't sweat on their brows. They had to go to work. They had to overcome obstacles. They had to be brave and courageous. Look what they did. And Jesus is calling us to have that kind of whole life generosity to all of those around us. If I've got something I can share with someone in my neighborhood, a friend, if I've got some some way that I can bless someone, some way someone can help someone, some way I can give to someone, if I can show love to this city, if we can show love to this city, if we, as little granules of salt in every industry, every part of the marketplace, every neighborhood, every family, every friend group, as we as the church of South Florida spread out through the city are demonstrating love to this world, they will see Jesus and they will know that he loves them and he came for an even greater purpose to save their souls so the question is will we be like the friends of the paralyzed man and we be willing to get to work and get our hands dirty to demonstrate love maybe say okay i want to do that what can i do so here's what i want you to do i want you to go ahead and take out your phone go ahead and take it out I know you're sitting there on your couch and you've got your phone there. It's not more than a foot from you. So go ahead and take out your, your phone. And what I want you to do on your phone is I want you to go to the City Rev app. Go to your our our church app. You say, wait, my church has an app. Yes. If you don't have the City Rev app, go to the Apple uh, app store or your Android app store and just type in City Rev Church and uh, consider downloading that app. That's one of the primary ways we communicate as a church. And so go ahead and download that app. And when you open up that app to the home page, the second box down says, love South Florida. So you're in the app, go ahead and open it up go to that second box down and click on Love South Florida. Okay, and it's gonna take you to a page that describes how we are together going to show love to our city in this season. There are two opportunities. The first one listed there is an opportunity to partner with four kids of South Florida. That's one of the organizations here locally that we partner with. So what that means is, is not only do we do service projects with them, but every time you financially give to your church, city rev, a part of that goes to some of these organizations, like like four kids here in our region that are one of the best organizations, Christian organizations in the country solving the foster care problem. And so we are we are partnering with them and what we can do is we're gonna do a toy drive over the next few uh, weeks in preparation for Christmas and you'll see all of the information there. There's a shopping list. And um, so, church, let's. this is a way to get our hands dirty as you're doing some Christmas shopping. Look at that toilet, grab a few things. You can bring those by if you come here um, on one of the weekends in person. You can drop it off there. You can also drop it off throughout the week. But there's another one. We're partnering with a place in time ministry. This is a Thanksgiving um, a serving opportunity. And so what does that mean? You're like, whoa, Thanksgiving is coming up. Exactly. That means we got to get to work. That's this week. We are collecting food over the next few days and doing a a food drive, there's a list of all the things that we need. Again, you can drop that off at uh, the church offices here, the the facility here, and there will be on the 20th an opportunity to sort it, on the 21st to distribute it, so if you are interested, this is a great one to get kids involved in as well, so if you're interested, you can sign up to volunteer, and so this is a great way, church, right, there's all the information you need, a great way for us to get our hands dirty and serve our city. You say, okay, all right, all right, I hear you, I'll do it, We'll, we'll, we'll get involved, we'll do that but man, I mean you're talking about like cities being changed and I feel like I'm just buying a couple toys. Like how is that going to transform the city? Well, I want you to imagine and realize what you're a part of. Each one of us, we're just one little granule of salt because here's what you're a part of. We're not the only church doing Love South Florida. Churches all over South Florida are at the same time doing acts of love to our city. All different types of stuff all over our city and then we're going to come together and celebrate together how we as the church of South Florida loved on this region because we're just one part of a much larger work that we are doing. So church, let's not just be hearers of the word. Let's be doers. Let's let's be a church that responds and demonstrates love to our city. Why would we do that? Well, not long after this healing took place. All of Israel gathered in Jerusalem for one of their annual feasts. It was Passover. And so everyone came to Jerusalem for that. And while they're in Jerusalem, this particular Passover, something happened that, I mean, it was big. Everyone knew about it. The famous rabbi everyone had been talking about had been arrested taken out of the city and crucified so I want you to imagine you're this man who that rabbi you remember I mean that the morning you woke up paralyzed immobile couldn't move your arms and your legs and by afternoon you were walking home what would it be like if you were that man standing outside the city and looking up and seeing Jesus on the cross? And in that moment, you look up and you see his arms and his legs immobilized, nailed to a cross. And that's when you realize, if you're that man, he didn't just heal me. He traded places with me. He took my place. Body, mind, and spirit. Why do we love our city? Because we've been overwhelmed by the love of Jesus to us. That will stop at nothing. No obstacle will get in our way to demonstrate love to anyone he puts in our path in our city. Church, we're going to close this teaching time before we continue into a time of worship. We're going to close this teaching time by taking communion together. So if you have those communion elements, go ahead and get those, the the bread or the cracker and the juice. And this is a powerful symbol that Jesus told us to do. And it's a, it's a symbol that we declare what Jesus did on our behalf. His body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. And that death on the cross saved us for all of eternity. And so here's what I want to say. If you're not ready to say... Jesus is my Savior, my Lord. I've surrendered my life to him. I know that I can't get to heaven by myself. I need to be rescued. Jesus rescued me. If you're not ready to declare that, that's what this is. So if you're not ready to do that, then I would invite you to hold off. But if Jesus is your Savior, you say, he is, he saved me. He brought me forgiveness through his death and resurrection. He is my Savior, my Lord. I've surrendered my life to him. I am a Christ follower. Then let's take this meal together. But maybe you're here and saying, look, I've not been there, but I am ready to do that now. Then this is your way to say to Jesus, I receive your gift of salvation. I receive your forgiveness. I will follow after you. So let's take this together. Go ahead and take that bread. Jesus took the bread. and He said, this is the symbol of my body that's broken for you. Let's take this together. In the same way, he took the wine that was at the table and he says, this is a symbol of my blood that I'm pouring out for you. So every time you do this together as a church, do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the juice together. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the unbelievable, unmatched love that you've extended towards us. You came to our rescue, Jesus, at such great expense, we cannot comprehend it. May we be worthy of the calling on our lives to demonstrate love to this world that you love. And would you stir up that love in our hearts? Love for people that are way different from us, but that you love, that are in the city, that we would, that you would stir up love for anyone that you bring into our path. That we love our friends, love our enemies, and demonstrate love to them, that they might see a picture of the gospel and might know better who you are, that you are offering salvation as a free gift of love to them. Lord, I pray that you would do that work in our hearts. I thank you for those who took this meal, this communion, this bread, and this juice for the first time, declaring that you are their Savior. Thank you for the work you did in their hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen. Look, if that was you, just when you just then when you uh, took communion, you said, "I did this for the first time. I am now becoming a follower of Jesus Christ." And here's what I want you to do: I want you to go to cityrev.org/faith. It's also up there on the screen where it's a link in the chat. Go to cityrev.org faith. We want to send you a Bible no matter where you're at. We want to celebrate that with you. Well, church, we're going to continue in a time of worship, and we are going to celebrate that Jesus is the one that draws us together. He brings down the walls between us. He brings down the walls in our hearts. He unifies us together, and he's called us to show that unified love to our city. Let's continue in worship together.